us, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Hi everyone and welcome to the Real Science Podcast, a podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name is Kenneth Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm a Michael Pace. Wow, <laughs> you give me an ice cream headache just by oh, saying your name. This is Borat Pace over here, my wife. An right. ice cream headache, you say? My Pace. Hmm, He's hello. Pace, you told us before we started recording that you wanted to do something. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. well, we are on the Real Science Podcast. We are. That's, That's the the name of the medium that we make podcast. Mm. It's the name of the show medium. It's yeah. It's the name of the show that we make. This is good. This is Can good we so start over? No, we can't. We're stuck in this bit now, Pace. Okay. Uh, I thought it might be fun for us all to talk about how our science lives are going. Because, after all, we do do science. I mean, there's nothing like starting a, uh, starting a podcast off with a little bit of depression. I agree. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I fun is, I guess, one way to describe it, but... Our lives are very exciting, obviously. So, um, why don't you lead us off? Tell us how your tell us how your science life is going. Yeah, please. How um, is- how my science life is going? Overall, I'd say my science life is going it's going all right. I am working so hard to graduate right now. Uh, I'm working on publishing my work. Very exciting, but also even more cool. I figured out today some of my work got accepted for a short talk at the International Conference for Molecular Neurodegeneration in Stockholm, Sweden. Hell yeah, dude. Um, That's awesome. So That's really good. I don't know if I'll be going because it's over the summer. Uh, so you to do your internship. Though. I hopefully will... The ironic thing is that I hopefully will not be presenting it because... Because you want to do your internship. Because I want to do an internship for that will lead to an actual real job once yeah. I graduate uh, over, the, uh, over the summer. But if I don't get one, then I'll be going to Sweden to present my work. So dude, congratulations. That would be cool. That's awesome. That's... The gist for me, I'd say right now. What about you, so. Sean? I know you you got one step, one foot out the door, one step and one foot in the grave. I submitted my, uh, I submitted my dissertation. Nice. Um, and I what's got, a what's a dissertation, Sean? It's a summary of everything Crossing. I did in grad school. It's a it's a very long document. It must be short. <laughs> oh, how's yours going? It's not written. <laughs> okay, that's a big <laughs> old bazinga on both of you. <laughs> it's about a hundred and nine pages. That's good. Double double spaced. So still. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh, still. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot. <laughs> Let's move on. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I submitted my dissertation, and uh, I'm doing some experiments in lab because I could not bear to be at home writing for another solid month. So I... just like in your Pink Floyd pajama pants and yes. watching Barney. Cheetah dust. On no, writing, person. but yeah. <laughs> well, Barney like soothes your mind, right? You do this normally whenever you write. I listen. Do you what? watch Barney while you... What? Do you watch Barney while you write, face? No, no, I'm saying Sean does this. No, actually, Sean watches streams of people playing Magic online. Not while I'm writing. I listen to Pink Noise. <laughs> I would rather listen to yeah. Alpha like, Waves. You are beautiful, no matter what they say. <laughs> no. Words can't bring you that's down. Like, uh, that's like, no, that's, 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 that's Madonna, right? Oh my Madonna. god. Was that Maroon 5? No, Cher. It's I'm going to drown myself with my water. Okay, no, pink noise is just a, like, frequency range of, you know how, like, white noise is just a bunch of ambient, random, like, 
frequencies of noise. Yeah. yeah. Peak noise is like a certain bandwidth of frequency. I just listen to it because it's like kind of like drowns out background noise. Uh, is there an advantage to listening to pink noise over white noise? It's a lower frequency spectrum. It doesn't so sound as like as intrusive. Like, so br- like brown noise is the low. So there's like br- yeah, it's called brown noise. All right. And oh, so you're saying it's it's the lowest. Pink noise is higher, but brown noise is, is lower, but I started listening to pink noise and I prefer it. So. Oh. Like, it's a lot more... Like, when you... You know when you go to sleep and people will play, like, ambient noise in the yeah, background? Yeah, yeah. A lot of that time it's brown noise. And oh, sometimes it's pink noise. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, or it's like a, a bird cawing in the rainforest. And white noise is usually stuff like, white noise oh, is just like, take our guns away, or like... Wait, I got it. Uh, yeah, no, keep, keep, keep right, writing. This is, this is reverse racism. Stop. <laughs> Sorry. Are we about to fucking ascend? Like, what is happening? It's the good stuff. Alright, let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> so, Ken, how is your science life going? My science life by Ken Smith. Uh, so, I am in this weird limbo where I have written about half my dissertation. I am finishing up experiments. And next week, I have a committee meeting where I'm going to ask them if I can graduate. Uh, they're going to say yes. They are because... I hope they are. They are because I have a job already. Yeah, you have a job. Yeah. They're going to let you graduate. So Congratu- be... Congratulations. Dude, Kevin. thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah, man. That's a good opportunity. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good... It's a big change period for you. It's just a big transition. I'm really pumped. It's going to yeah. be nice to be doing something different. It will not be nice to be moving away from my two best friends in the whole world. Oh, nah. Wi-Fi and my wife. Oh. My hey. wife. It's <laughs> really, I, I was, you know, I was, that was going to be a sweet cool. moment, but you yeah. ruined it. Yeah, that was going to be really nice. You guys, um, obviously. Oh, that's so sweet. So, so this is too much, this yeah, is too many emotions for me. It's going to be all right. Way too many emotions. Pace, yeah. do the authors have any disclosures? We have some disclosures about our podcast, especially this episode in particular. <laughs> yeah. First one, general one. Uh, general one. We are going to pick apart some of the minutiae in this film. Uh, we are stickler scientists, and that's why you listen to us. That was A. Part B. Oh, great. Um, is that this film that we watched uh, this evening uh, does contain a fairly alarming scene of non-consensual assault yep. uh, by a headless zombie figure. Take that how you want. It's ridiculous and also very gross. It's all of those things. This movie is also pretty gory. <laughs> It's very gory. It's an 80s splatter comedy. Let's put it this way. If you wanted to get into the movie business for your makeup art, this would be the primetime movie for you to start out it, on. Absolutely. It, it was a lot of ketchup and high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, and if you're an expert on consistency of blood when a fake head is thrown across the room, uh, you would have been perfect for, a perfect hire for this film. Yep. That being said, the film that we watched... Tonight was Reanimator. 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 Herbert West. I barely know her. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of lowbrow shit I don't want in this podcast. I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I liked shakes. it. I can see it on your face, Sean. I liked it. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, this movie was actually recreated based upon H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror. Yep. Uh, that he wrote. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a, a a pretty prolific, prolific, um, lesser known at certain times, more renowned now uh, because of his works. Just because they they had a few somewhat controversial and uncomfortable ideas that he would write about. He wrote weird, spooky fiction. Weird, spooky fiction. Yeah, uh, and this was uh, an interpretation of that fiction. So it was broadly, guys. What's this film about? In general, generally speaking, so generally speaking, Doctor. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't keep doing this. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. <laughs> Dr. Wes. Um, wait, wait, he's not a doctor yet. Okay, med student Wes, yep. reporting for duty, <laughs> is a scientist slash med student who is working on developing a treatment for death. I mean, specifically, he's working on reanimating dead corpses so that people won't die anymore. And he's not really in this for the scientific glory or, like, the humanity aspects of helping people. He's just sort of depicted as, like, a mad scientist that is, like, obsessed with his work. Yeah, we get a pretty early establishing scene of uh, Herbert West uh, basically trying to, or no, he has reanimated his old boss, who's actually, whose name is actually Dr. Hans Gruber, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, he, basically the police, and I guess the dean of where he was in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah they said he was, he was in, in Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland. Switzerland. Switzerland, Germany. Um, no, no, they just nope. spoke German <laughs> in this region of Switzerland. Well, the national uh, language in Switzerland is German. Thanks yes, space, but so. it de- regionally <laughs> depends. Well, yeah, but... Hey, stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, his boss dies and he reanimates him. uh, A woman, because they needed a woman in the scene to scream wildly because it was the 80s. And two police officers walk in on Herbert West standing over his old boss, uh, holding a uh, syringe and looking crazy-eyed as his boss stands up and his eyes explode and he runs around the room screaming. Yeah, so there's so the way the movie starts out, it's that uh, Doctor West is already what's his name Herbert. Yes, yeah, Herbert, Herbert West. Herbert West. Herbie West. Herbie has already developed this like serum for reanimation. So it's not we don't really watch him creating the serum. We watch him testing it on different subjects throughout the movie. Yeah. Um. So they walk in on him, and the scene sort of ends, and we cut to. America, presumably. Yeah, we there's this long title scene, uh, all of James Bond, where they introduce like spooky feel of the film, uh, and it cuts to America, an American hospital, uh, Miskatonic University, I think, which is like very, very Lovecraftian in its name because everything's Miskatonic something in, in Lovecraft's universe. Uh, and Herbert West has moved to this new hospital, and the dean int- starts off by introducing him to a Doctor Hill who is a overseeing doctor and instructor at the hospital, and another student whose name is Dan Kane. Yes, yeah. Dan Kane. Dr. Dank, I think Dr. Dank. Dr. Dank. Uh, and Herbert West, right off the bat, establishes himself as a huge asshole to both of them. So Right, yeah. Herbert West comes in and, and immediately just tells uh, Dr. Hill that he's, you know, Stealing him. stuff from Hans Gruber. Yeah, that his work is BS. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and like, yeah. And in, in regards to the science, uh, the the Doctor Hill guy, this guy who's teaching the med students, of which uh, Dan Kane and uh, Doctor West are learning from him. One of his major like ideas that Doctor Hill has that he's trying to teach these kids uh, is that you know there's only a certain amount of time that the brain can go uh, without oxygen, right? Like six to 12 minutes. Six to 12 minutes is his yeah. like, time point. Um, is that accurate? It's pretty close. It's, it's widely thought now that the brain can go about six minutes without oxygen. So six-minute rule is, is, fairly, uh, is fairly accepted. We talked about this a little, bit, a little bit on the last episode, but what happens when your brain goes for prolonged periods of time without oxygen? Say, like, when dying on a hospital bed, for instance, before revival. Uh, the cells will start dying. Yeah. Eventually. Right. Um, I mean, well, your all your brain cells need oxygen yeah. to to survive, which is why you also need a uh, a pumping heart. Yeah. That will uh, provide the, them. provide the, the blood flow that that has oxygen in it 
up into your brain. And this is also actually, if you've heard of MRI, uh, this is how that works. So like you, the people use MRI to, to test which areas of your brain are active. Mm-hmm. And they do this by measuring what's called the blood oxygenation level. So whenever a, a region of your brain becomes active, it takes up blood. And then you can image this and see like, oh, this area of your brain is active because it's taking up blood right now because the neurons need the oxygen in the blood. That's pretty awesome. Um, so that's how MRI works. Um, but yeah, eventually, if your brain were to go without oxygen, your cells would start to die. Uh, and then eventually there'd be irreversible tissue damage. Right. Yeah. And like one of the reasons, I, and I don't know if this is actually like common knowledge, but there are pre-programmed cell death pathways yep. where essentially if the cell is not getting all the nutrients it's needing or if something is going wrong with the environment there's like s- something wrong it senses an issue the cell will sense an issue and will actually like activate a like molecular cascade end up in the cell dying yeah. so it's called like it's called i call it apoptosis that's what a lot of people call the it the correct word is apoptosis no but... it's whatever it's a cell death cell death mechanism so there is like a pre-programmed cell death mechanism, and if, like, oxygen is gone, presumably the cells will just start undergoing apoptosis and they'll start dying. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, the apoptosis is a more of, like, controlled cell death. Right. And this is basically, as Sean said, it's kind of this, this, this series of, a series of events inside a cell that a cell will be like, oh, oh shit, this is, we're not getting the nutrients mm-hmm. that we need. It'd be better for us to to self sacrifice right now. Right. But there's also a type of cell death called necrosis, yep. where a cell will literally explode and spew its contents all over the place, and yep. and that will actually cause neighboring cells to undergo apoptosis too. Much so, more degradative and damaging type of cell death. Yeah. So, for instance, when you get bitten by, say, a brown recluse. Uh, yeah. The cells surrounding the bite because of the venom cause it to go through necrosis, which causes additional apoptosis of the cells around that area. And that's why you get shriveling up and you get tissue damage to that region. Right. right. Bottom line, your brain needs oxygen to live. Yep. And right. it gets this oxygen from the heart. Yep. Which, is very, which, as we'll see, is important in this film. And if these cells die, then putting oxygen back doesn't do anything. Because no, the cells are exactly. dead. Uh, but in this movie, it does. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess plot-wise, right? Herbert West is now shown to the university. Yeah. Established himself as an asshole. Yes. Yes. And so there's a scene where this is sort of like an underlying love story throughout the movie. Yeah. Between Uh, Dan Dan and Meg is the dean's daughter. So there's always a dean, right? There's always a dean at all. (laughs) Yes. There's a dean. No one's on double secret probation, luckily, (laughs) but there is a dean and Dan is dating his daughter. It's, It's not super important for the science, but for the plot of the movie, there's like this, they want to get more serious, but... He's a student, and he doesn't want to, like, encroach on the yeah. dean's daughter. And he's, he's trying like to get that. approved for, I guess it was a loan. Yeah. And the dean is supposed to speak up for him, but they're worried that if the dean finds out they're dating, that they'll think there's, there's some sort of issue, and everyone else finds out, they're going to think that it's, Nepotism. Like, nepotism, yeah. So, basically, yeah, they're, so, they're trying to keep it secret. Yeah. And so, while they're on safe. this, uh, while they're on one of their dates, there's a... There's a sex scene between, uh, you eh, know, it's sort not of. really a sex scene, but they're just fooling around in bed. It's, uh, what's his name again? Dan? <laughs> There's two seconds of half-hearted climax. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, don't say that word. <laughs> I, I mean, that part of the movie is relatively tame compared to other things oh, that yeah. happen. Uh, but the next major thing that happens here is that uh, Dr. West, you know, I guess who is technically like Dan's... Not a doctor. Classmate. So, okay, whatever. Herbie. Herbie West. The, the, the reanimator... Uh, <laughs> the, the titular reanimator. The reanimator. 
So Dan Crane is having a, a rent issue in his apartment right now. He yep. is, he needs someone to take his spare his spare room. Uh, and so Herbie West comes in and is like, hey, can I come live with you? Um, and offers Dan a bunch of cash. And so he also creepily goes into the basement and is like, wow, this, yeah. this space looks perfect for what I need. Within seconds, shows up, asks if there's a basement, goes downstairs, says exactly, this space is perfect, and then pulls a wad of cash out of his pocket and goes, I'm I'm gonna move in. Here you go, Dan. Yeah. You said my stuff's outside. I'm yep, moving my in. My stuff's outside. I'm ready to go. And because Dan is an idiot, desperate, he says no problem. Pockets of cash, and now he's got a new roommate. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so now I guess the next thing we cut to them, they're in class. Yep. And Doctor Hill, the doctor who's you know got the six minute brain death theory uh-huh. that Doc, uh, that Herbie thinks is BS. There you go. Um, he's lecturing, and so he's. Pulling apart a human cadaver and, like, sawing the skull off and showing them the brain. Yeah, he says, cutting away enough of the fascio to get your fingers in. Yes. Which is a little bit of science snuck in there. And then he takes out a bone saw. Yeah. Which we see later. But he takes out a bone saw and you hear the saw go off and you just hear, like, meep. And then the skull's yeah, gone. there's <laughs> literally two seconds of a saw being used and then he takes off the entirety of the top of the skull. Yeah. But while he's talking about brain death and stuff, uh, Herbie is sitting in the back and he's just snapping pencils because he's angry. Yeah, every every time <laughs> Dr. Hank Hill says something about there being like a will or about it's alluded to and it's more addressed in the story that Lovecraft wrote that there is like a soul involved in the body or in the brain and maybe it's housed in the brain. Herbie snaps a pencil. Yeah. Just to be disruptive. Because like, he has- holds it up close to his face. <clears throat> And snaps it. Yeah. <laughs> because he doesn't believe that. And I think the way that's interpreted in the film is that Dr. Um, what was his name? Hill. Dr. Dr. Hill. Hill yeah. Dr. Hill says uh, he, he knows the center of like will yeah. in, the, in the human brain. There's one area that uh, that if you can, you know, control that area of the brain, you can, you know, essentially have alter, a person's, alter will. a person's will. Yeah. Which is kind yeah. of like, yes. But I mean, like the thing is the, the concept of mind control is not necessarily, like, false. It's just, yeah. like, the will center of the brain is kind of, like, BS. And there's a little bit of mind control in this movie, but we can get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that when it comes yeah. up, because it's it's weird, and it's not explained, and it makes no sense at all. So they get into this big argument in the morgue where Dr. Hill is performing this surgery on a, on a cadaver. <laughs> Dr. Hill yells at him and says, I suggest you get a pen. And Herbert West then accuses him again of stealing ideas from Hans Gruber, uh, and then it transitions into the dean. Uh, what's his name? Um, Dr. Del Rio. I don't remember. He's, He's the dean. 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 All right. Then <laughs> His name's Dean. His name's Dean, in which Dean the dean and Dr. Hill and uh, the dean's daughter are all eating dinner together. Uh, at this point in the movie, we are introduced to this idea that Dr. Hill is basically Jafar and yeah. tries to hypnotize the dean into basically letting Dr. Hill marry his daughter after the daughter leaves with Kane and Dr. Hill apparently disagrees with the two of them. Yeah, it's really weird. So, like, uh, Kane and, um, or, yeah, Dan Kane and Meg are going to have a study session. Yeah. And the dean is, like, totally approving of their relationship. He's like, yeah, whatever, He's like, yeah, I mean, he's a really respectful young guy. Like He's he's a promising medical student. Yeah, he's like, I don't have a problem with them dating, you know, if they're just 
not taking it to the next level yet because I want him to graduate and everything. Yeah. And Dr. Hill is just like, he seems dangerous. Like, and I wouldn't let a beautiful girl like that, like, yeah. loose with that monster. She's and matured into quite the young woman. Yeah. So every time, so they're having a conversation, the two, the dean and Dr. Hill at a table. And every time they pan over to the dean's face, it's just like a normal camera it's filter. A regular dean. And then they pan over to <laughs> Dr. Hill's face. And it looks like the painting in, like, Dorian Gray or yeah. something. Like, it looks like, like... fog creeping up from the edges yeah, of the Yeah, and it's, shot. like, this really, fo- like, foggy uh, filter and stuff. And he's just kind of wide-eyed gazing at him, like, it would be unfortunate if something happened to them, like... And this isn't the only time we see this in the movie, where apparently Dr. Hill has the power to hypnotize people without any anything else, any other methods that are typically used in standard hypnosis and then give them suggestions that they then follow through on. Yeah, he essentially speaks directly to people, and then they just have an emotional response to whatever he was saying. It's yep. really weird. There is no precedent for it. Yeah, but so for the movie, he plants the seed that, like, Dan and his daughter dating is a problem, and that because Herbie is living with Dan, he's going to corrupt him because he thinks that Dr. West is, like, a, yeah. a monster. Yeah. So. I think the next thing that we should probably jump to is uh, some of the things that go down... In uh, Dan's residence, Dan, Dan and Crane. Herbie's house. Dan and Herbie's house, where you mean Rufus? Uh, well, they they have this cat, right? Dan yeah. has a cat named Rufus. Yep, which we um, actually see earlier in the movie. We do, yeah. we do. Uh, Dan is hanging out with what's the what's the dean's daughter's name? Meg. Meg. With Dan, uh, yeah, Dan's hanging out with Meg. They're just like having their normal boyfriend girlfriend talk sesh, as boyfriend girlfriend might do. Uh, you sound like an alien describing human relationships. Well, I am, <laughs> I am cold and robotic. They, so, they um, sit down and they talk about yeah, they, their days. Yes. <laughs> and uh, chit chat. They and then they, romance. And then they realize, huh, the cat. I haven't seen the cat in a while. Where's Rufus? And uh, they eventually make their way into Herbie's room. Yep. Uh, and find the cat in the fridge. The, a fridge that was left open. A fridge that was left open and is apparently dead. Cat's dead. Yeah. And then Herbie comes in. He's very upset they were in his room. Long story short, uh, Herbie is downstairs in the basement and Dan uh, hears some strange noises yeah. coming from down there. He specifically hears very, very, very loud cat screams. Right. right. So earlier in the evening, um, when Dan found the cat in the fridge, he asked Wes, like, what happened? And he says that he found... Oh, Jesus. He found the cat in the fridge. Kenan's made a note here um, that the cat suffocated, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> apparently he was found suffocated, but... Very good. Very good, Kenan. Very, very good. <laughs> and that he was going to tell him. So he... Wes said he found the cat dead, yeah. and he put him in the fridge because he didn't want him to find him outside. And, of course, Meg is like, he killed your cat. Like, he murdered your cat. And Dan's like, I don't think he would do that, you know? Like... Dan warms up to Herbie very, very easily. Yeah, like, really fast. He's like, he's he's just a cool guy. He's He's quiet, you know? He's quiet. He pays rent. Yeah. He kind of is cool, though. I mean, he is cool. We think he's cool, but cool for different reasons. Yeah. So, his cat suffocated. Yeah. And Thanks, John. Now we jump forward to, right, at night, he hears these sounds in he the basement. He hears the sounds. He goes out in the basement. Mm-hmm. The shrieking gets louder and louder. And this cat is back to life, yep. which Dan had presumed, had, been, had presumed the cat dead, right? Uh, the cat has come back to life. It's attacking Herbie West. Uh, it's latched onto his back. It's latched onto his back. Uh, Dan basically helps him get the cat off uh, with a baseball bat. Yep. And they kill the cat again. Um, so presumably, Herbie West has brought this cat back to life. And now Dan's kind of in shock here. And they're both right. looking at this cat 
on this operating table. And Herbie's convincing Dan. He's like, I, I did it. I brought this cat back to life with my reanimation solution. Yep. And this reanimation solution, what's funny about this solution? Keenon. It glows bright green. It glows bright green. Yeah, so he's got like an infinite supply of this solution that he's made. Yeah. It's not really infinite, but he's got a lot of it. And it's a plastic, he's mentioned it's plastic at some point, but it's like a little plastic jar just full of glowing green liquid. Yeah, and in the story, like, it's mentioned that he uses a mixture of like embalming fluids and, you know, things that are supposed to keep people anesthetized and things like that, yeah. mixed with what's only described as a reanimating reagent. Yeah, they don't address that in the movie, which is probably for the best. It's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the actual solution is hand wavy. Is whenever we say hand wavy, we mean like Oh yeah, we never talked about what we mean. No, we don't. Yeah. Whenever we say someone's hand waving, we mean that they're kind of just you know, they're say, doing what we do on the show all the time. Yeah, well, they're, no. bullshitting. they're bullshitting. <laughs> they're bullshitting. Yes, they're bullshitting. Yeah. And they basically say, "Oh, this is the magic serum yeah. that brings beings back to life whenever they've recently died." But I think the interesting part here is that even though the cat is eviscerated and lying on the table, mm-hmm. Herbie's like Herbie says to Dan, "Do you want to see me try to do this again?" Yep. Uh, and he does, and he injects this uh, this reanimation serum. Into the brain, and then Dan is like, "Oh, the brain," and then Herbie's like, "Of course, it's the brain," which is interesting because you know, as we talked about, you need both function in the brain and the heart to be you know a fully functioning human being, yep. right? And yet he's injecting it. He seems to make the brain very important part here, which I mean makes sense, but it's just it's worth noting. You need both brain and heart to to be functional. Yeah, exactly. And so then the cat, uh, who is just completely mutilated, comes back to life for a third time. I guess second time. Like, right? mutilated. Like, it's, it's like... Completely it's completely It has a broken back. There are organs hanging, like, right. out of the cat and things like that. It's in multiple pieces. Right. Like, and it comes to ba- back to life. It's shrieking. And then this is when Meg comes down and sees the situation. And it's chaotic a little bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, Dan immediately is like... it's He's obviously kind of in shock from the whole thing, but seeing this in front of him, he immediately is like, wow, this is such a great discovery. He realizes the potential. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sort of already like really warmed up to Herbie with this. And like, he was skeptical at first. Like he mentions that, oh, you didn't actually kill the, reanimate the cat. You must've just like cooled it down or something. And like slowed its its heart rate, slowed its breathing, and then just woke it back up. There's no way you can do this. And, like, we actually talked about a little bit last episode, like, you can prevent tissue damage by cooling, but, you know, there's only so much you can do. But there's a limited movie, amount of time you can put someone into quote-unquote stasis right. just right. by cooling their body down. Right. Yeah. But in this movie, it's very clear that this cat is, like, uh, torn to shreds and just comes back to life and stuff. So I want to talk about two things before we get away from the scene. Yeah, dude. Uh, Sean's wife uh, mentioned that we should My talk wife. about... What makes this crap blow? Because it's very clear that the Stuart Gordon and the crew that made this movie uh, cracked open a bunch of uh, glow sticks, poured them into a plastic bottle, and that's what uh, Herbert West, Jeffrey Combs' character, uses the entire movie. Yep. So, we're going to talk a little bit about how glow sticks work, just for the audience's information, because I'm sure everybody knows, uh, wants to know. Uh, And then talk about some forms of luminescence that we actually use in the lab. As far as glow sticks work, we looked this up right before we started recording, and it is way less complicated than I thought it was going to be. It's actually pretty, some pretty simple chemistry. Uh, so glow sticks actually contain two specific chemicals that react with one another in order to form heat, which then drives the excitation of what's known as a fluorophore. So this is a suitable dye that you could be using in order to produce a glowing effect. 
So instead of a, say, a protein, like we'll talk about here in a second, that causes glowing, this is in fact just a small chemical compound that glows when exposed to energy. Right. Uh, so the inside of these are a mixture of dye and what's known as diphenyl oxalate. And then there's a small glass vial, which everybody knows you have to snap on the inside that contains hydrogen peroxide. So this chemical diphenyl oxalate and hydrogen peroxide mix together. This creates a chemical called peroxyacid that decomposes spontaneously into carbon dioxide and releases energy that excites a dye and the dye glows. That's also the reason why you shouldn't fucking drink it because it contains phenol. Yeah, which is carcinogenic. Which is real bad. So can it cause cancer? <laughs> don't put glow sticks in your mouth. Yeah, yeah so it's, po- it's poison. It's poison. Yeah. Glow sticks are great. I mean, I love glow sticks. Give them to your kids. Just just don't let them drink. Don't it. let them eat them. <laughs> also, if you ever at a music festival and you it starts to look real good. After, you know, some things that you've also been doing at the music festival. Like, yeah, like, sorry, like having, having a beer, having just a couple beers. Just having a couple beers. Just having a good time. You get uh, lost in the music. You get just, lost in the music. You yeah. think, God, that glow stick looks delicious. I'm so thirsty because I've been outside raving for three yeah, days. You've been listening to ride. crunchy grooves for like three still, days. Still the crunchiest Yeah, grooves. just the crunchiest still grooves. Still don't drink it. It looks it looks like Kool-Aid, man. Don't drink it. Does it look like Kool-Aid? <laughs> Really shiny cool. Oh, okay. So one example of luminescence we actually use in the laboratory is an enzyme called luciferase. Uh, some of our listeners may recognize this enzyme because it is, in fact, in fireflies. Yeah, um, And is the cause for the light source that they have within their abdomens. Yep. Um, so we use this as what's known as a reporter for a lot of experiments. So it lets us know when something that we've intended, a reaction or a process that we've intended to cause has occurred. Uh, and what we're able to do uh, upon luciferase expression, so the production of this enzyme, is introduce a uh, substrate called luciferin uh, that is then consumed by that firefly luciferase, and we get a glowing effect. And when you say re- reporter, it's just a way to detect something. Yeah, exactly. You'd, you'd be surprised how useful it is in a lab setting just to make something glow when, when a, a useful biological reaction happens it's right so it's probably like 90 percent of what we do most of the time. yeah i mean so a solid example is like the virus that sean and i work on uh once injected to a person if you give it the dna instructions to produce luciferase that vir- ma- virus makes it to a cell gives the dna th- or gives the cell the, uh those instructions it reads the dna produces luciferase you can then later isolate these cells give them luciferin after popping them open and it tells you whether or not luciferase got made in that cell, which tells you the virus made it to that cell. Right. It glows. It glows. There are also useful uh, useful protein tools that can also be used as reporters, like uh, various fluorescent proteins, like uh, green fluorescent protein. GFP. GFP. Uh, yellow fluorescent protein. Good fucking protein. YFP. Gross financial product. Um, sci- <laughs> CFP. Cyan fluorescent protein. Uh, and there's also cool r- fucking r- protein. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are ruining my education. Sorry, What's like on one? both levels. What's another one? Uh, M cherry. There's also which is which glows. That's red. a cherry fucking protein. <laughs> What's another one that that's like in the GFP family? Funnily enough, GFP, green fluorescent protein, and YFP, Yarts fucking protein, <laughs> yellow fluorescent protein, are only differed by a few amino acids and can be detected by the same antibody. They're so similar and yet fluoresce at different wavelengths. Sounds like we can use bioluminescence in many ways. Cool. So why don't we get back to the movie? So I think the <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because we gave sort of a hand-wavy reason for why this thing might be glowing. It's possible that old Herbie West is using some form of luminescent reporter in order to indicate that the solution is in an 
active form? Right. The real answer is that it looks cool, but we gave it a fun science bit. In 1985... 19. 1985. It looks cool. Take it away. Guys, we don't have the copyrights to 1985 from... <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, and Pace, you mentioned this a little bit, but the difference between death of the brain and cardiac death. Well, I think that it's just important to, to note because let's let's say we don't know the... Co- let's say take the cat. You have the dead cat. Consider the cat. Consider the cat. Is it in the box? Is it not in the box? I don't know. What's in the box? (laughs) But we don't know whether the cause of death in this cat, chances are it was from a lot of things. But let's say that like a human dies, Mm -hmm. okay? This death could have been as commonly occurs due to a heart issue, right? Or it could be due to a brain issue. And you know, in the movie, uh, Herbie West injects his reanimation serum into the brain. What if it's a cardiac problem? That was the cause of death. As soon as you bring the being back to life, whatever initially caused the death is still going to be a problem. Right, right exactly. What I think, like, when Kenan's talking about, like, you know, cardiac death and brain death, when we define death as humans, right? So if someone's in a coma, they're not dead, and they can wake up from it. We don't say, like, oh, they're now alive again, like, they're reborn. Generally, right. like, death is thought of to be as a permanent thing, so there are, like... But, you know, you have organs that are just absolutely crucial for survival. And once you reach a point where those shut down, we define that as, like, the person is dead. Right. So there's cardiac death where we can define, like, the the heart has stopped beating for a certain amount of time, so the person is dead. And then there's brain death. And cardiac death actually happens, you know, prior to brain death because... When your heart stops beating, the concern is that your brain will then subsequently die right. from a lack of oxygen. Right. Um, but you also have other organs that will go into failure and stuff like that. So it actually, it brings up maybe a couple of philosophical issues as well in regards to what is what we define. What do you? How do you define hum- uh, death of a human being? I mean, if someone in a coma, technically their body is still right, uh, but they're basically brain dead, right? I mm. mean. And uh, they're no longer conscious. They're no longer experiencing things. Right. Like, you know, are they dead? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's something to consider. Right. Which is why we have, like, clinical definitions definitions of right. brain death and cardiac death. Because right. if you just say, like, they're dead, like, that kind of it does have some gray area with the medical advances that we're able to apply to people. You need, you need to have a defined definition, basically. Well, there's a reason why a medical professional has to call a person dead at a specific time. Yeah. Right. Exactly. There has to be a yeah. physical definition for what killed the person, including cardiac death versus brain death. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. So, right. So this cat comes back to life. Meg comes downstairs. She sees it. Dan, who is suddenly very, very, very much on Team Reanimator. Yeah. Uh, takes Meg back upstairs and goes, no, no, it's cool. Herbie's a, Herbie's a cool guy. We're going to save the world. It. We're, We're going to save the save world, it. man. Don't worry about it. That cat's fine. You saw it. The cat's fine. Uh, <clears throat> the cat's not fine. The cat is clearly not fine. a hairball? Yeah, a hairball, sorry. <laughs> Herbie and Danny become a best friends Ooh. in a matter of seconds, and they decide that they need to take their relationship to the next step and go to a morgue uh, and find a dead body that they can then reanimate. Yes, Dan agrees to assist uh, Herbie with whatever his experiments are. Right. right. However, at this point, I think they're both about to be, like, expelled, right? When this is happening. Because the dean finds out that they... That, oh, that's right. That uh, Dan has been doing these crazy experiments and involved his daughter. And so he basically, like, expels both Herbert Herbert West and Dan Kane, right? Yeah, well, he effectively retracts his offer to help Dan get the loan. Which means so he can no longer, longer be able to go afford to school. school. Right. So then they basically respond by going and trying to reanimate a human. Yeah, so they find this John Doe uh, in the morgue. 
uh, and decided to bring him back to life. They inject him with a whole bunch of Herbie's magical glowing serum. And this dude, who is the size of Andre the Giant, uh, comes to life, goes crazy, responds once to Herbie yelling, uh, hey, you, or whatever the heck he yelled at him. Uh, the dean shows up to the morgue, is banging on the door of the cold room that they're in, and Andre the Giant busts through the door, crushes the dean under the door, and proceeds to throw him around the room like a ragdoll. And strangle him and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, basically, they, yeah, right. They reanimate a corpse. It goes bonkers and starts trying to kill them. But they pick the body because it was the freshest. Yes. So, they talk about, like, the, the more recently deceased the patient is, the greater chance there is of the reanimation solution it had, working. It had been dead a few hours. And so, I think it was one of the variables that, like Sean was saying, that you're considering when doing this. Another variable they introduce here is site of injection. Yep. Of the reanimation serum. They said that they did it in the brain with the cat, uh, but here they do it in the brain stem, which is important because I think as we've mentioned before in the podcast, the brain stem uh, is basically the source of all of your like basal level function, like heart rate and breathing right. and like your, your basal instincts, right? Which actually kind of makes sense with the way that these reanimated corpses were acting. They were kind of zombie ish right yeah sure if we want to hand wave some more we can say that like that's what we do that's what we do baby uh some of the more uh autonomous functions of the body maybe are being brought back to life by herbie's magical snake oil so what you're saying is yes (laughs) (laughs) sorry go ahead so what you're saying face is when they injected the brainstem it appears that these um zombies or the reanimated corpses don't have any like cortical processing meaning that like they don't have any higher level thinking right right the brainstem is basically what like connects the what you consider your brain down to like your spinal cord so it's kind of like the intermediate area and and it's not responsible for like problem solving or higher level thinking and things like that personality that sort of thing Yeah, yeah yeah right but so this corpse this giant angry muscular corpse kills the dean yep and this becomes immediately relevant to this problem of them needing a fresh corpse. Right. And so, of course, like, the Dean dies. And um, from Dan's point of view, this is his girlfriend's dad who was, you know, angrily kind of just expelled him. But he obviously doesn't, like, hate the guy. And he's kind of torn up. Right. Like, Whoa, I can't believe he just died. And from Herbie's point of view, he's like, oh, cool, a fresh body. Yeah. I'm going to inject this. So then he immediately injects it with the reanimator serum. And he wins Dan over pretty easily by saying, oh, we can save his life. Let's bring him back to life. Yeah, he's right like, now. he's dead, yeah. but he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. They inject him, he comes back to life. Uh, pretty similar reaction. Goes crazy. He's just going crazy. Yeah. Just like tries to strangle them. Like Every time they reanimate someone, there's an extremely violent reaction, and they make a bunch of sounds, and blood is just gushing out of their face. Yeah. All the time. I don't know why blood is constantly gushing out of their face, but I guess that's that's what happens in these movies. I think I established pretty early on while watching the movie, it's because they all bite their tongues. Is but it? It's also why they're all upset. Or for the... You know, they're all just really mad that they bit their tongues. <laughs> Ow! Ow! Damn! Wow, that was tough. Well, thanks. Thanks for bringing me back to life. So yeah. either, either way, the undead Dean recognizes his daughter to some degree mm-hmm. and goes and cowers in the corner while... Officer Vel Johnson shows up. The guy who sits at the front desk outside. I the shot morning. a kid. <laughs> I shot a corpse. <laughs> he shows up and he goes, "What's going on?" I'm calling the police, and then calls the police. Then we immediately cut back to the house where 
I guess they got interrogated by the police. The police believed this bullshit story that Herbie made up about, yeah. like, the Dean coming in and attacking someone. And I don't know. He's crazy. Yeah. Because they honestly, I mean, and the way they argue it is they're like, what else are they going to believe? The truth? Like, we actually reanimated right. his corpse. They're not going to believe that. So they're just going with whatever story we told them. We find out that Herbie is high on his own supply. And that he's been taking the serum through his arm in order to keep him from having to sleep, right? In order to keep the quote-unquote brain sharp. Uh, and while they're doing all this injecting bullshit, we cut to Dr. Hill, who has now taken over care of the crazed in a straight jacket in a padded room that's for some reason in Dr. Hill's office in order to perform quote-unquote exploratory surgery on him mm-hmm. so he then asks uh meg to sign his fa- or her father over to him so that he can do so and then <laughs> he also and pace very astutely pointed this out uh that he goes oh, i want to take a close look at the right frontal lobe and then points to a model that's sitting on the desk next to him and points to the left frontal lobe <laughs> yeah. of the model <laughs> Oh, and this model, this is not the last we've seen oh, of this no, model. No. We get to see this model again. There's there's a, there's a model on his desk of, like, the human brain. It's, like, a very, like, uh, creepy clown-looking face that is... It looks like it was made in the 70s. Yeah, that has part of the brain exposed for teaching purposes. You know, like. can I also say, so he's asking for, like, what, what to sign over the, I guess, the the care, the health care, like... Uh... Permission. Yeah, he's asking for. Per- he's asking for. Per- <laughs> Thanks for that face. I don't remember the term. I'm forgetting. Pace, the- expert in law. I'm forgetting the term, but it wants like medical power of attorney or something like that. Right, like right, he right. basically is like, "Hey, sign over your dad, so I can do whatever operations right. I need yes. to do." Which is crazy because this guy. I mean, that's what you would, I guess, really do. This is like the most unethical guy ever. Like, yeah. like, he's got a crazed, reanimated corpse in his body, and, like, we see later in the movie he has no problem with, like, stealing people's work and, like, making people disappear and stuff like that, not, but he's asking for, like, approval before he goes forward with this experiment. Not only that, but it's effectively the same thing as if, like, I don't know, say my boss goes crazy, and then the police approach me and they're like, do you want to take care of him? Yeah, right. It's, and I'd be like... No, there's, there's probably people who can help him, right? Other people who do this for a living, yeah, right? Yeah, And not the dean's, like, someone who worked for the dean. Yeah, it's very, like, conflict of interest and it's stuff very like that. Well, and the only reason, you talk about how he's not exactly a very moral person, and yet he's asking to get this permission. Yeah. He's only doing that to get in the good graces of the dean's daughter, who he has this creepy crush on. True, he creepy, does have this very, crush. yeah, he pulls another, like, mind he's control gross. moment where he's like, let me take care of your father. If you get lonely, feel free to come to me. Ugh. And it's and the only Douche way chills. she gets out of this mind control is like her dad just like bangs on the glass and yeah. she like shakes her from this trance and she walks yeah. away. Which again still kind of drives me crazy in the movie that he can just control people's minds. It's yeah, very I don't, weird. It makes absolutely no sense. Right. So then Doctor Hill goes ahead with the surgery, quote unquote. Yes, and he's doing exploratory surgery and he's taking X-ray images and he notes in the images that the neck is totally broken. Yeah. And so this is where he's sort of realizing that oh my god, this patient should be dead, but they're not dead. And then he realizes like yes, they are dead. They're just a zombie essentially. Yeah, he says that their brain waves are erratic. Their, their heartbeat is erratic, yeah. yeah, and that they they have severed uh, key nerves along their spinal cord. Right, it's yeah. a little strange. Like they don't go into the mechanism of how this reanimation works, right? Yeah. But they inject the serum in the brain, and presumably they're like reawakening in the brain in order to, or at least like the basal function yeah. that you need to stay alive. However, 
It's important uh, for you to have neurons going from the brain yes, down yes. through the spinal cord You're to the rest to of your body. You're still to control your body. Right, right. And, they, and, like, he kind of, you know, Wes sort of says something when the cat is on the table. And they're like, he's like, don't expect much movement. The cat's back is broken. Right. And so the head is moving and stuff, but, like, the cat isn't running around. So they do imply, like, yes, you do need some preserved tissue structure for this to work. So yeah. you would think that you would need these major nerves running up and down the spinal cord in order to operate the rest of the body right like if he's bringing the brain back to life and his heart is beating he would need to be able to send signals from his brain to his heart with the instructions to continuously beat right and with and with us with severed nerves on the spinal cord would he even be able to do that anymore the 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 entire your entire innervation of all of your limbs and everything right in order to be able to walk yeah, you have to have the innervation from the Oh no, he definitely wouldn't be And yet this this dean is walking around like fine, like he's like f- fully functioning despite the supposed broken neck. Well, so the that thing makes is, no sense. Your heart from I don't I feel like I've learned this in a physiology class a long time ago, but I don't remember the details, but I feel like I remember that your heart, if just like unregulated by your nervous system, actually beats like faster than your normal resting heart rate. Well uh, it okay. is it is affected by the autonomic nervous yeah, and then the, system. Right. But then your uh I think it's like your vagus nerve, one of your cranial nerves actually nerve number ten suppresses your heart rate to make it like a normal resting heart rate. Interesting. For some some reason. I don't exactly know what the like the biological like evolutionary benefit of all that is necessarily but i feel like i learned that in a physiology class before. no dude that's good it means a physiology class was worth it yes but your heart can be without brain uh interaction just probably not you can't modulate its heart rate right uh, that's a problem so so at this point in the movie dr hill breaks into herbie's house uh there's mm-hmm. no indication that he got in there legally at all hypnotizes herbie takes his notes and then claims that with his new discovery herbie's magical serum uh, he's going to win the Nobel Prize. Herbie somehow breaks the spell that Dr. Hill has cast on him with his beautiful blue eyes. Uh, he whacks him in the back of the head with a shovel and then... Not just s- whacks him in the back of the head. Oh, well, go on. Sorry. No worries. He whacks him in the back of the head with a shovel and then severs his head from his shoulders. That's a good shovel. It's a solid shovel. It's a really good shovel. He yeah. then uh, takes one of those uh, receipt spikes that you see on a counter next to a cashier, like, say, in a Starbucks... Plops it into a metal tray and then slams the head down on top of it in order to uh, keep it upright. And then injects a load of his magical serum into Dr. Hill's head and his body. Which brings both things back to life independent of one another. Right. And this, this is when that we go from speculative science into horseshit uh yeah we've 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 breached any sort of realism possible in this situation mm-hmm. I, I think classically we typically say this is when all hell breaks. this is when all hell breaks loose yeah it's good yep. cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war <laughs> out of your house <laughs> so at this point dr hill wakes up calls him a bastard uh his body then grabs this is gonna get confusing his body grabs herbert herbert west's head and slams it onto a desk herbie passes out And when he comes to, all of the serum is gone, and Dr. Hill and Dr. Hill's head in a tray are gone. Yes. I don't know. I don't know how much more we need to say about the whole scene. I mean, basically, Dr. Hill is basically walking around, like, uh, with, as a body, uh, carrying around his head like you'd see in a cartoon. Yeah. And now he's fulfilling his evil plot to, unfortunately have romantic relations with the dean's daughter yeah this is where the really gross scene comes in where um, they kidnap the daughter basically the crap, I, I think it's it's presumed at this point that dr hill basically goes haywire 
And now that he has all this serum, he has injected it into all these other corpses in yeah. the morgue, but apparently also taken control of their will using his crazy lobotomy procedure. Yeah, and earlier in the movie, we see him applying a laser to like somewhere in the prefrontal cortex uh, of patients, and it's supposedly this lobotomy procedure that he's invented where he has destroyed the center of will in these patients. So in resurrecting dead bodies... After lobotomizing them, he claims he is able to take control of the dead and basically fulfills, like, the end or, like, near the climax of every D&D campaign featuring a necromancer uh, <laughs> and is just like, I will gather power through yeah. my ability to resurrect dead bodies, I guess? So let's talk about a lobotomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I let's mean, do that. Because for listeners, if you didn't know this, the lobotomy was... It was a quote-unquote medical procedure. That's a stretch. It's not really that people used to do, and it's it's no longer considered an actual, like, legitimate medical procedure for. I don't really know of any. I'm not a doctor. That's because, but I feel like there's very few. Here's the kicker: there's no established science behind it. What this procedure historically involved, a lobotomy, is you would take some sort of metal probe, sometimes an ice pick, sometimes an ice pick. And you would literally, you would, I think you you put the, the patient under anesthesia, mm-hmm. and you, or sometimes not, or sometimes not, and you would stick this ice pick up right above their eye and underneath their their skull cap, mm-hmm. and stick it back into the brain, and basically move it around or like basically create an incision or a lesion in the frontal cortex. The reason this was done is was particularly for patients with mental illnesses. Right. Um, which... Or patients that they thought had irrational behavior. Right. That didn't even right. necessarily have any diagnosable mental illness. They just had irrational behavior and yeah. wanted to... Change it. Change it. There's obviously a lot of serious controversy surrounding this procedure. One, because it was... One, that was unnecessary because mental illness was poorly understood at the time. Yeah. Uh, two, because it was performed on a lot of people for a lot of different things, like you mentioned. It effectively became the, like, duct tape fix for right. anybody with any, some, any sort of emotional disorders or psychosis. Right. And the other thing is, it will induce... Like, if someone has maybe, like erratic or undesirable personality characteristics. I'm not going to define what these are because like who knows what they were using it for. Sure. But it would induce changes because your frontal cortex is where a lot of the aspects of your personality are, are organized. And so you're going to, someone will behave differently after you stick an ice pick into their frontal cortex, the front, the front part of their brain. Um, but the only thing that this might have been relevant towards even positively impacting is if someone had epilepsy and you were able to, like, sever part of the corpus callosum. By corpus callosum, uh, that's, like, what connects your two brain hemispheres. Yeah. And, and, like, if you were able to, like, maybe sever some of those connections, that might help with the epilepsy. Right? Yeah, it's obviously, like, not a good treatment. But No, it's, it's not. It's, like... And it's not, like, it's not an ideal way to go about doing it, but they, but they might have accidentally, right. you know, done that. The whole thing is is a bunch of cod's wallop, so. Yeah, and, and actually this, this proceeded with such, it was so prevalent in the United States because while not widely used in Europe after being used a couple times, and, of course, 
again, obvious problems with the procedure. It was so prevalent in the United States, but uh, apparently by 1951, over 18,000 people had been lobotomized. Uh, Which is and, terrifying. And this was largely per, uh, perpetrated by a gentleman named Dr. Walter Freeman, who is a big supporter of the lobotomy. And the other big problem, and his partner actually left him because of this, uh, the other big problem is that it was transformed into what was basically a quote-unquote simple office procedure. And because it was so accessible and because he was so ready to do That's it. That's where the ice pick came in. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that, there, was, there were a lot of these occurring. So. Yeah. Doing a lobotomy may change their be- behavior, but it would not allow you to control their minds. It doesn't turn them into an army of the undead. I mean, no, it doesn't. All right. So for the final scene of the movie, um, it's in the morgue because Dr. Hill, his head and his body companion, have kidnapped Meg. Yep. And he wants to you know, do weird, unspeakable things to her because he's a creepy, 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 headless old man. And Dan and Herbie are coming to rescue her because... And stop Dr. Hill. They know that she's been kidnapped. They're trying to stop Dr. Hill. So they get there and they stop him in the middle of like some tomfoolery, I guess. Yeah. And they're basically like, you know, they're like, the jig is up. We got you. And he goes, I "Uh, have a plan. I have a plan. I have created like... He's essentially saying, like, I have used a lobotomy to con- find out how to control the reanimated corpses. And then right as he says this, they all there's just up. a bunch of corpses all around the room covered in, like, bags and blankets. And they all just sit up and start running around like maniacs. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole final scene is just a crazy, like, brawl between the non-reanimated corpses and all the reanimated corpses just, like, attacking each other. Yeah, basically Meg, like... Gets through to her father. He starts trying to fight off the other corpses in order to save her. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dan is fighting some corpses. Herbie West screams overdose, stabs Dr. Hill in the back with a large amount of his serum. Uh, this causes Dr. Hill's body to explode and then strangle Herbie West with his large intestines. Yeah, which... Uh, it was very The Thing. It was we- I mean, it was weird. It was like, very weird and even more out of place than everything else in this movie. The body exploded and the intestines started wriggling around like a snake yep. and strangling someone. It was, like, uh, crazy. It was so, crazy. Herbie, because he, I guess he realizes he's dying, uh, and also one of the zombies knocks over a magical... Presumably poisonous. Chemical. Presumably, I think we said it might have been like a large container of HCl, yeah, which can pr- produce no vapor that's dangerous. Yeah. But like HCl I, being hydrochloric maybe, acid. Hydrochloric maybe acid, it's chlorine yeah. gas. Maybe it's like uh, bottled chlorine gas. No, like bleach and ammonia. Like a glow stick, right? like right next to each other. And they just <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't it's know. some sort of hazardous thing that becomes gaseous and yeah. and become and makes everyone have to leave the room unless they get trapped in there. For the like purpose, Herbie West does exactly for the purposes of the movie it's poisonous gas yeah <laughs> exactly and he throws his bag at dan and dan and meg run out herbie's like save my work uh dan and meg are running away and then they get on an elevator after a brief altercation with a zombie meg is severely injured uh because she's choked out by the zombie mm-hmm. dan goes upstairs lays her on a table and they attempt for like maybe 30 seconds to resuscitate It's not her. a lot. Yeah. It's like, like Sean, I, you pointed out that they didn't even go through a single round of compressions. Right. Like, they did, like, 10 or something. Yeah. Like, I, I hope that if I'm in cardiac arrest... They do more. ...that they will do a little more before <laughs> yeah. they just go, uh, not worth it. <laughs> and at this point, the movie ends because, uh, I mean, in the most telegraphed way humanly possible, uh, Dan then reaches into the bag 
Pulls out a syringe, which didn't have a cap on it. That's definitely an EHS violation. Oh, yeah. Uh, he just pulls his hand and just has a syringe <laughs> just sticking out of it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the freeze frames as he injects his now dead girlfriend with the reanimating solution. Yep, and that's how the movie ends. Dum dum. Ba 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 da ba. Wow, wow, Are you doing the end of the Law and Order SVU? Executive producer Dick Wolf. Was this a Dick Wolf production? No. No way. It's a story um, production. So that was the film. That was a whole film. That was a whole film. Yeah. Do you think it's time to... Oh my God, it's the time. Rate the science? <gasps> Let's rate this bitch. <gasps> boop, 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 boop. Oh, that was good. That was pleasant. Boop, 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 boop. Ah! <laughs> my sensitive old man ears. <laughs> Face, why don't you kick us off? Oh, okay. Um, so the movie that we watched... Reanimator. It was about science. And... It- this was suggested by Eric Klump. So, again, Eric, thank you for the suggestion. Eric, very much, Klump. Eric Klump, thank you for your suggestion. In regards to the film that I watched this I evening... I hate this voice. <laughs> so, in regards to the science of the film... You thanks. sound like Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch a movie. I want to watch a movie. <laughs> it was... It was... Okay, the science in the film... I'm so... I'm going to... Fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to play a game? It's, I'm tired. It's Let's, supposed to teach you about the value of your it's life. It's 11 p.m. Uh, I'm going to give the science a 2 out of 5. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Because... I'm amazing at that. <laughs> yes. Because, so I, I, will, I will say that uh, all the hand-wavy aside, the glowy reanimation serum, uh, and all of the obvious neglecting of how altering the human body and damaging it would affect the way that it functions... Uh, they do kind of recognize that, oh, if you invigorate the brainstem with some sort of reanimation serum, it would produce a zombie-like uh, creature. And that's, from what we know, would probably be true. Uh, it's, it, gets, it gets a few things right, but most of the, most of the things... But for 1985, you know, for what they knew at the time, I'll give it a 2 out of 5. In regards to the entertainment factor, I'm going to give it a big old 5 out of 5. Hell yes! <laughs> because... I really, really enjoyed this movie. I came in, and I was actually... I came into this film because I, I was a little skeptical. It seemed kind of silly to me. Um, oh, you it did was. say, you don't, you, going into this, you don't like old movies. I actually... I normally don't like old movies. Uh, the acting is usually not as good, um, which is important for me. Mm-hmm. And it's... They're usually a lot more cheesy. Um, but this one, despite its cheesiness and despite poor acting at times, was incredibly entertaining. And I think it's just because the the outrageousness and but also cool concepts of the film uh do a lot for it i think it's because you don't watch enough old movies and there are a lot of really good ones there probably are but i mean don't don't worry we're doing a podcast where we watch movies every other week yeah we have to watch two movies a month so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so um i'm biased because i love hp lovecraft uh fiction and things like that but i'm gonna say that probably contributed to some of the cool ideas and scenes that were a part of this film so cool what do you think of the movie? So, uh, for the science, I'm going to go with my usual, like, Simon Cowell role in the podcast and just give it a straight go. one out of five because right, I do go. not think the science was good at all. I, I don't think injecting something in the brain where you're reanimating the entire body, as in, like, muscle function everywhere, things like that, 
really makes any sense. Like, you could just do it intravenously. It's a problem. Yeah, I, I just don't think it makes any sense. And I know I said muscle weird, but that's cool, Kenan. Like, because <laughs> we, all, we, all, function. we all say that we all have little slip-ups sometimes. Right? Like, like Sean Connery. The quick fox muscle jumped over the lazy function. Yeah, restoring muscle function. Mish muscle function. <laughs> Mish muscle function. So I'm giving it a 1 out of 5 for the science. Reanimator. Um, Reanimator. Reanimator. I barely know her. <laughs> to- yeah. Tomato. Okay, I'm going to finish my thing now. Potato. Okay. You do this to base all the time. I do. For the entertainment value of the movie, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I really liked the movie. Two it's, two. I mean, so here's the thing. If someone was like, hey, what's the best movie you've ever seen? I would not say Reanimator. But if someone said, I really want to watch an entertaining, like, wild movie, I would just put say Reanimator. Because yeah. it's crazy, but it's very entertaining. And that's what I'm looking for. It doesn't need to be like Oscar-worthy actor performances and stuff. I just want a movie that grabs you and makes you glad you watched the whole it, thing. It, it grabbed me. It was outrageous. And, you know, I just... It it, it, dra- it dragged me along the entire time. Sometimes just unwillingly. And yet, I couldn't look away. Wow, so poetic. Thanks. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kenan, what did you think about the movie? Uh, you guys have summed up the gripes and groans that I had for this movie pretty succinctly. I will say that the science of this movie is pretty terrible and yeah. a lot of horseshit. So I think I'm also going to uh, pop on my Simon Cowell and say that it was a one out of five. Is the, the Simon Cowell, that's a, a, a hood that that you, you wear whenever mm-hmm. you're shitting on things. Yeah, I think I'm also going to give it a one out of five for the science because it's uh, pretty terrible. Um, but as far as the entertainment factor goes, uh, I love Stuart Gordon, for starters. And Jeffrey Combs is one of my favorite horror actors. He's been in a lot of ridiculous, silly, bad animation and, like, crazy practical effects horror movies. Obviously, Reanimator. There's, like, two other Reanimator movies that are garbage. Uh, But he was also in, like, The Frighteners from Beyond. He was in Castle Freak. Like, a bunch of these, like, really bad but fun to watch, like, splatter horror movies. Yeah. uh, This is, like my niche for movies. Yeah, Kenan really likes horror movies. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, there's some scenes, obviously, in this movie and in other movies like it where that are like, man, this is really uncomfortable. I don't want to watch this and I could do without. But otherwise, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love it. So I'm going to give it a five out of five. Nice. Yeah. Real, real quick. Hit me. Big ol' end of film question. Who is the reanimator? Ah. Pace, I think the... Movie gives us the answer pretty plain, plainly that the reanimator was inside you the whole time. Yes, we are all reanimators today, base. Today, we are all reanimator. Well, I'm actually a, a, a practicing necromancer, so I oh. mean, it's. Do how's you, how's I, it going? The doors are locked. You're not leaving. By the uh, way, it is too hot in Sean's apartment. I am definitely leaving. Okay, but actually, though. <laughs> Do you really want to know who the reanimator was? Because it was Herbert West. Yeah, reanimator. It wasn't. Doctor um, Phil, Oz? <laughs> what are you? What are you saying? Oh, What's the guy's husband, name? Doctor Phil the, <laughs> Hill. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't Doctor Hill. Hill. No, oh, he was what, you mean he reanimated more bodies? You're saying? Yeah, but he didn't come up with the serum. Yeah, he was evil scientist. He, he was just, an evil man. Oh, so Doctor Herbie West was not the evil. Herbie scientist. West was a misguided, crazy person. Okay, that's what I would say. Yeah, dude, All right. he was high on his own supply. Yeah, all right. That's what I was trying to get out of you. Stop tapping the juice. Anyway, uh, do we have any? <laughs> do we have any listener? We mail? do have we a. Mean? We we have 
at least I have one. I don't know if you guys have any. I have one uh, listener question. It actually is regarding the movie that we watched for the last Times episode, mm-hmm. uh, Avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Ooh. come. This comes uh, from a Tory in Gainesville, Florida. What Tory? I recognize yes. that name. Why do I recognize that name? Uh, because she was a guest on our show. Hey. Uh, and she asks, "What kind of tissue?" Do you think the Navi hair tentacles are made out of? Tiny fingers or what? Gross. Are they hair noodles? So the, if we the, give a brief, a brief recount in the movie Avatar, all of the local people on Pandora have these like weird hair, like scalp ramen. Yeah, scalp. These kind of like hair uh, appendages <laughs> that they're able to communicate with the beasts and the fauna with. Right? Hair getty, if you will. Hair getty. So my thought on this. You guys, you guys just like be mature for like three fucking seconds. <laughs> just said the word hair getty. What do you want from me, Pace? I'm only human. I, I mean. Anyway, I would say, I would postulate that these sort of hair noodles are uh, some. <laughs> Stop calling them hair noodles. <laughs> Holy shit, it's late. So uh, hot in here. So, <laughs> the Navi, the Navi Linguini. The, the Navachini. The Navachini. The Navachian. So, oh, we are so sorry, Tori. Uh, it's 11 p.m. Um, oh, the Navachini. I'm going to say that the, the Navigetti are these. Blue pasta. I would say, in all seriousness, they have, they've got to be in some ways associated with, with nervous tissue. I would say they're probably some sort of extension, uh, of whatever the Navi have as, as a brain. Yeah. But they are able to interface with their environment. They have yeah. kind of this, uh, this maybe external, like, you know, covering or maybe like fatty sheath that, uh, but also allows them to like communicate probably electrochemically with, right. with, other similar types of appendages. I, I would also make the argument that, like, this idea that the Navi used their hair noodles for something, like, more <laughs> intensive than the uh, than the other organisms on the planet used theirs for. Yeah. But I feel like they're, they would all have to be the same thing for the, all the same intentions, right? Because the Navi would have evolved from older life forms. Like, there would yeah. be a common ancestor that used these... Na- I think you said yeah. Nav- Navicini. Navicini. I believe you said Sean. <laughs> yes, uh, the Navicini. <laughs> in order to access the planet, right? So this is just something that has now become more versatile for the Navi to use beyond what the other organisms are using it for. So it's, it couldn't be something that is just right. exclusive to the Navi as they are in their current state. Right. So I think in regards to tissue, probably it's probably a modified nerve tissue. Got to yeah. be a modified nerve tissue. Yeah. Yeah. You hit yeah. the you hit the Venicini on the head there, man. I did. I do that. So do we have any other listener questions? So we got one other thing from somebody close to the podcast. Uh, we got a Podbean comment from a good friend, Sean. Yes, this is a friend of the show, Jack Crossan, <laughs> who is my father. <laughs> Sean's daddy. My dad. You're just like. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so <laughs> my dad says, uh, love the podcast. Uh, comment on the podcast about the Martian. I used to work in spacecraft software development, so I'm familiar with the topic of space exploration. One big problem we had with the movie was how they gloss over how really difficult a 500 or 800 kilometer trip would be with no roads on Mars. Anyway, you guys are great. Keep up the fun. 
So thank you, Dad, for your comment. This is a really good point. He actually has talked to me about this. Um, uh, Matt Damon had to trek across like the planet. He has no roads. He had a rudimentary map that was taken from satellite images, and he is going on like landmarks to try and navigate. And guess how many landmarks are on Mars? Not many. Close to zero. There's really nothing. There's and nothing there. <laughs> there's just big craters, which until you're close to see the crater, you don't really know you're near it. So... This is a great point, Dad. Uh, glad you brought it up, and thanks for the comment. And yeah, do you guys have anything to say? Thanks, Jack. You are a loyal listener. You're a great, you're you're a great guy, Jack. Don't <laughs> don't you come back now. Stop. Don't sing that song. <laughs> thanks, Dad. Uh, we also got one other comment from uh, Brett Light uh, at Real Critical on our Twitter at Real Science Cast on Twitter.com. That's at Real Science Cast on the website Twitter. Dot com. Uh, and Brett said uh, about... Are you trying out as a news anchor no, right not now? At all. Uh, Brett mentioned on our Watching the Happening, uh, he wish he asked us, uh, is Marky Mark's face really that perfect? <laughs> oh, Brett. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I don't know. They didn't it's... give him his own funky bunch for nothing. For no reason. <laughs> Nasty boy Marky Mark. Thanks, Brett. All right. Well, if you would like a question on the show or you have a question about any of the episodes that we've done previously you can email us at realsciencecast at gmail.com or you can post on our twitter account which is at realsciencecast yep you can also post if you just have general science questions about things in general in life yeah that you would like answered and if you ever get anything wrong and you want to correct us go for it we will take those as well oh the other thing is uh, if you guys could uh, be a doll and go review us on iTunes it is the only way we can climb that ladder uh, without paying lots and lots of money in advertising fees yep which Which we're not gonna do (laughs) (laughs) the yeah so if you go leave us a five star review on iTunes uh, that helps us a lot and if you don't like the show uh, send us an email and tell us why, and we'll try to make it better. The other thing is, is we actually now officially have a Patreon. Hey! Whoa! We've been talking for two episodes about actually making one. I have made one. Go look for Real Science Cast on Patreon.com. We have one tier at the moment, uh, as far as rewards are concerned. Uh, if you give us a dollar a month, uh, I will say your name on the podcast in whatever way you want. Let me know how you want me to say your name, and I will say it on the podcast. So are you saying, like, like impression-wise? Like, if someone's, like, say my name, yeah, like absolutely. Sean Connery. Yeah, exactly. Or if they say, like, say my name, like... That way Ooh. I can say it in a very deep voice if yeah, you want. you could say it in a deep um, voice. That would be good. If you want uh, Sean to say it very sensually, we can also do that. Kenan Smith. Ugh. God. <laughs> that'll be one dollar. Yep, that'll be one dollar, everyone. Who's no, no, for right you, Kenan. That's a oh. dollar. Oh, hold on. Yeah. Get it out. Yep. Yep. Wallet noise, wallet noise, wallet Sean noise. is basically Delilah. Uh-huh. There you go. Thank and, you. And that's, that's the sound of money. One dollar. <laughs> that's the sound of money. This is terrible audio content. I'm so sorry. We're sorry, let me just put all my Can you stacks, stop? Of, <laughs> stacks of money away. Oh, my God. All right, we're all going to go to sleep because it's 11 p.m. and we're fucking exhausted. If you want to find me on the internet, you can find me at LOLKennan on Twitter or on every other form of media. What about you, Pace? You can find me on Twitter at Michael C. Pace. And if you want to contact Sean, I'm assuming you just get on the Real Science Facebook? You can't find me anywhere. I don't know what you want from me. That's fair enough. Go to the Facebook page. Yep. Real Science. His Cast address is also... Um, Why are you looking at your watch? Look at your watch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, my name's Kenan Smith. My name's Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Pace. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it classy. Stay, Stay better. <laughs> Stupid episode. (laughs) Very dumb.
Who's the fucking guy in the elf in uh Who's the fucking Rudolph guy in the elf? Will Ferrell. Yeah, it's fucking Herb. Oh, Her it's Hermie. Oh, I told yeah, Hermie. Hermie. Shit. Hermie. Hermie. I want to be a dentist. Where the people are. I want to see. I want to see, see them chewing. Oh. Brushing around on those? their. What, what do you call them? Teeth. <laughs> Kill me. Brushing your teeth, you don't get too far. <laughs> Floss is required for perfect hygiene. <laughs> 